0: Welcome to today's Triple Z. The Triple Z Podcast is a daily program that you can use to help you fall asleep each night. Just turn down the volume, lay back, relax, and enjoy as you fall asleep. The Life and Achievements of Don Quixote de la Mancha is a Spanish epic novel by Miguel de Cervantes. Originally published in two parts, In 1605 and 1615, its full title is The Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha. A founding work of Western literature, it is often labeled as the first modern novel and one of the greatest works ever written. Don Quixote is also one of the most translated books in the world. If you enjoy our program, Please be sure to write us a review on your podcast platform and share us with a friend, you both might sleep just a little better at night. Our website is triple Z, that's three Z's dot media. You can also like and share our content on Facebook or our Instagram account, ZZZ Media podcast. Music for today's episode was provided by the sleep channel on Spotify. Chapter 64 Containing ways and means for disenchanting the peerless Dulcinea del Toboso being one of the most famous adventures in the whole book, the Duke and Duchess were extremely diverted with the humours of their guests, resolving, therefore, to improve their sport by carrying on some pleasant design that might bear the appearance of an adventure, they took the hint from Don Quixote's account of Montesinos' cave as a subject from which they might raise an extraordinary entertainment. The rather, since, to the Duchess's amazement, Sancho was so foolish as to believe that Dulcinea del Toboso was really enchanted, though he himself had been the first contriver of the story, and her only enchanter. Accordingly, having given directions to their servants that nothing might be wanting and proposed a day for hunting the wild boar, in five or six days they were ready to set out with a train of huntsmen and other attendants not unbecoming the greatest prince. They presented Don Quixote with a hunting suit, but he refused it. Alleging it superfluous since he was in a short time to return to the hard exercise of arms and could carry no Sumters nor wardrobes along with him, but Sancho readily accepted one of fine green cloth designing to sell at the first opportunity. The day appointed being come, Don Quixote armed and Sancho equipped himself in his new suit and mounting his ass which he would not quit for a good horse that was offered him, he crowded among the train of sportsmen. The Duchess also made one of the company. The knight, who was courtesy itself, very gallantly would hold the reins of her palfrey, though the Duke seemed very unwilling to let him. In short, they came to the scene of their sport, which was in a wood between two high mountains, where alighting and taking their several stands The Duchess, with a pointed javelin in her hand, attended by the Duke and Don Quixote, took her stand in a place where they knew the boars were used to pass through. And now the chase began with full cry, the dogs opened, the horns sounded, and the huntsmen hollowed in so loud a concert that there was no hearing one another. Soon after, a hideous boar of a monstrous size came on and being baited hard by the dogs, and followed close by the huntsmen, made furiously towards the pass which Don Quixote had taken, whereupon the knight, grasping his shield and drawing his sword, moved forward to receive the raging beast. The duke joined him with a boar spear, and the duchess would have been foremost, had not the duke prevented her. Sancho alone, seeing the furious animal, resolved to shift for himself, and away he ran, as fast as his legs would carry him, towards a high oak, to the top of which he endeavored to clamber, but as he was getting up, one of the boughs unluckily broke and he was tumbling down, when a stump of another bough caught hold of his new coat and stopped his fall, slinging him in the air by the middle, so that he could neither get up nor down. His fine green coat was torn. And he fancied every moment the wild boar was running that way, with foaming mouth and dreadful tusks, to tear him to pieces, which so disturbed him that he roared and bellowed for help, as if some wild beast had been devouring him in good earnest. At last the tusky boar was laid at his length, with a number of pointed spears fixed in him, and Don Quixote, being alarmed by Sancho's noise, which he could distinguish easily, looked about, and discovered him swinging from the tree with his head downwards, and close by him poor Dapple, who, like a true friend, never forsook him in his adversity. Don Quixote went and took down his squire, who, as soon as he was at liberty, began to examine the damage his fine hunting suit had received, which grieved him to the soul, for he prized it as much as if it had made him heir to an estate. Meanwhile, the boar being laid across a large meal and covered with branches of rosemary and myrtle, was carried in triumph by the victorious huntsman to a large field tent pitched in the middle of the wood, where an excellent entertainment was provided, suitable to the magnificence of the founder. Sancho drew near the Duchess and, shewing her his torn coat, Have we been hunting the hare now, or catching sparrows? Quoth he, My coat might have slept in a whole skin. For my part, I wonder what pleasure there can be in beating the bushes for a beast which, if it does but come you, may be the death of you. I have not forgotten an old song to this purpose. May Fabula's sad fate be thine, and make thee food for bears or swine. That Fabula, said Don Quixote, was a king of the Goths, who, going hunting once, was devoured by a bear. That is it I say, quoth Sancho, and therefore why should kings and other great folks run themselves into harm's way when they may have sport enough without it? What pleasure can you find, any of you all, in killing a poor beast that never meant any harm? You are mistaken, Sancho, said the Duke, hunting wild beasts is the most proper exercise for knights and princes. in the chase of a stout noble beast may be represented the whole art of war, stratagems, policy, and ambuscades, with all other devices usually practiced to overcome an enemy with safety. Here we are exposed to the extremities of heat and cold, ease and laziness can have no room in this diversion, by this we are inured to toil and hardship, our limbs are strengthened, our joints made pliable, and our whole body hale and active. In short, it is an exercise that may be beneficial to many and can be prejudicial to none and the most enticing property is its rarity being placed above the reach of the vulgar who may indeed enjoy the diversion of other sorts of game but not this nobler kind nor that of Hawking a sport also reserved for kings and persons of quality. Therefore, Sancho, let me advise you to alter your opinion when you become a governor, for then you will find the great advantage of these sports and diversions. You are out far wide, sir, quoth Sancho. It were better that a governor had his legs broken and be laid up at home than to be getting abroad at this rate. It would be a pretty business, forsooth, when poor people come, weary and tired, to wait on the governor about business that he should be rambling about the woods for his pleasure there would be a sweet government truly truly sir I think these sports and pastimes are fitter for those that have nothing to do than for governors I wish with all my heart said the Duke that you prove as good as you promise but saying and doing are different things well well quoth Sancho be it how it will I say that an honest man's word is as good as his bond. Heaven's help is better than early rising. My meaning is that with Heaven's help and my honest endeavors, I shall govern better than any goshawk. Do but put your finger in my mouth and try if I cannot bite. A plague on thee and thy impertinent proverbs, said Don Quixote shall I never get thee to talk sense without a string of that disagreeable stuff? Oh, sir, said the Duchess, Sancho's proverbs will always please for their sententious brevity, though they were as numerous as a printed collection, and I assure you I relish them more than I should do others that might be better and more to the purpose. After this, and such like diverting talk, they left the tent and walked into the wood to see whether any game had fallen into their nets. Now, while they were thus intent upon their sport, the night drew on apace, and more cloudy and overcast than was usual at that time of the year, which was about midsummer. But it happened very critically for the better carrying on the intended contrivance. A little while after the close of the evening, when it grew quite dark, in a moment the woods seemed all on fire and blazed in every quarter. This was attended with an alarming sound of trumpets and other warlike instruments answering one another from all sides as if several parties of horse had been hastily marching through the wood. Then presently was heard a confused noise of Moorish cries, such as are used in joining battle, which, together with the rattling of the drums, the loud sound of the trumpets and other instruments of war made such a hideous and dreadful concert in the air That the Duke was amazed, the Duchess astonished, Don Quixote was surprised, and Sancho shook like a leaf, and even those that knew the occasion of all this were affrighted. This consternation caused a general silence, and by and by one riding post, equipped like a fiend, passed by the company, winding a huge hollow horn. "Hark you, post," said the Duke, "wither so fast?" What are you? And what parties of soldiers are those that march across the wood? I go, cried the post, in a hideous unearthly tone, in quest of Don Quixote de la Mancha, and those that are coming this way are six bands of necromancers that conduct the peerless Dulcinea del Toboso enchanted in a triumphant chariot. She is attended by that gallant French knight, Montesinos, who comes to give information how she may be freed from enchantment. Wert thou as much a demon, said the duke, as thy horrid shape speaks thee to be, thou wouldst have known this knight here before thee to be that Don Quixote de la Mancha whom thou seekest. On my conscience, replied he, I never thought of it, for I have so many things in my head that it almost distracts me, I had quite forgotten my errand. Then directing himself to Don Quixote, without dismounting, "To thee, O Knight of the Lions," cried he, "and I wish thee fast in their claws. To thee am I sent by the valiant but unfortunate Montesinos to bid thee attend his coming in this very place, whither he brings one whom they call Dulcinea del Toboso, in order to give the instructions touching her disenchantment. Now I have delivered my message. I must fly." this said, he winded his monstrous horn and without staying for an answer, disappeared. While Don Quixote stood pondering these things, well, sir, said the duke to him, what do you intend to do? Will you stay? Stay cried Don Quixote, shall I not? I will stay here, intrepid and courageous, though all the infernal powers enclose me round. So you may, if you will, quoth Sancho, but if any more devils or horns come hither, they shall as soon find me in Flanders as here. And now the night grew darker and darker, and several shooting lights were seen glancing up and down the wood, like meteors or exhalations from the earth. Then was heard a horrid noise, like the creaking of the ungreased wheels of heavy wagons, from which piercing and ungrateful sound bears and wolves are said to fly. This odious jarring was presently seconded by a greater which seemed to be the dreadful din and shocks of four several engagements in each quarter of the wood with all the sounds and hurry of so many joint battles. On one side were heard several peals of cannon, on the other, the discharging of numerous volleys of small shot hear the shouts of the engaging parties that seemed to be near at hand, their cries of the Morse that seemed at a great distance. In short, the strange, confused intermixture of drums, trumpets, cornets, horns, the thundering of the cannon, the rattling of the small shot, the creaking of the wheels, and the cries of the combatants made the most dismal noise imaginable and tried Don Quixote's courage to the uttermost. But poor Sancho was annihilated, and fell into a swoon at the Duchess' feet, who, ordering some water to be sprinkled on his face, at last recovered him, just as the foremost of the creaking carriages came up, drawn by four heavy oxen, covered with mourning, and carrying a large lighted torch upon each horn. On the top of the cart or wagon was an exalted seat, on which sat a venerable old man, with a beard as white as snow and so long that it reached down to his girdle. He was clad in a long gown of black buckram as were also two fiends that drove the wagons, both so very monstrous and ugly that Sancho, having seen them once, was forced to shut his eyes and would not venture upon a second look. The cart, which was stuck full of lights within, having come up, the reverend old man stood up and cried with a loud voice. I am the sage Lurgander and the cart passed on without one word more being spoken. Then followed another cart with another grave old man who making the cart stop at a convenient distance rose up from his high seat and in as deep a tone as the first cried, I am the sage Alkwife, great friend to Urgander the unknown and so went forward. He was succeeded by a third cart that moved in the same solemn pace and bore a person not so ancient as the rest, but a robust and sturdy, sour-looking, ill-favored fellow who rose up from his throne like the rest, and with a more hollow and diabolical voice cried out, I am Archlos the Enchanter, the mortal enemy of Amaz to Gaul and all his race, which said, he passed by, like the other carts, which, taking a short turn, made a halt, and the grating noise of the wheels of the Wagon ceasing, an excellent concert of sweet music was heard, which mightily comforted poor Sancho and, passing with him for a good omen, my lady, quoth he to the Duchess, from whom he would not budge an inch, there can be no mischief sure where there is music. Very true, said the Duchess, especially where there is brightness and light. Aye, but there is no light without fire, replied Sancho and brightness comes most from flames. Who knows but those about us may burn us, but music I take to be always a sign of feasting and merriment. We shall know presently what this will come to, said Don Quixote, and he said right, for you will find it in the next chapter. Chapter 65 Wherein is contained the information given to Don Quixote how to disenchant Dulcinea with other wonderful passages. When the pleasant music drew near, there appeared a stately triumphal chariot, drawn by six dun mules, covered with white, upon each of which sat a penitent, clad also in white, and holding a grave-lighted torch in his hand. The carriage was twice or thrice longer than any of the former, twelve other penitents being placed at the top and sides, all in white, and bearing likewise each a lighted torch, which made a dazzling and surprising appearance. There was a high throne erected at the farther end, on which sat a nymph arrayed in cloth of silver, with many golden spangles glittering all about her, which made her dress, though not rich, appear very glorious. Her face was covered with transparent gauze through the flowing folds of which might be described a most beautiful face, and by the grave light which the torches gave, it was easy to discern that, as she was not less than seventeen years of age, neither could she be thought about twenty. Close by her was a figure, clad in a long gown like that of a magistrate reaching down to its feet and its head covered with a black veil. When they came directly opposite to the company, the whole boys that played before ceased, and the Spanish harps and lutes that were in the chariot did the like. Then the figure in the gown stood up, and, opening its garments and throwing away its mourning veil, discovered a bare and frightful skeleton that represented the deformed figure of death, which startled Don Quixote, made Sancho's bones rattle in his skin for fear, and caused the Duke and the Duchess to sing more than commonly disturbed. This living death being thus got up in a dull, heavy, sleepy tone as if its tongue had not been well awake began in this manner. O glory thou of all that air could graze a coat of steel and fence of adamant. Light, lantern, path, and polar star in guide to all who dare dismiss ignoble sleep and downy ease for exercise of arms for toils continual Perils, wounds, and blood. Knight of unfathomed worth, abyss of praise, who blends in one the prudent and the brave, to thee, great Quixote, I this truth declare that, to restore to her true state and form Toboso's pride, the peerless Dulcinea, tis fate's decree that Sancho do bestow three thousand lashes and eat three hundred more, each to afflict and sting and gall him sore, so shall relent the authors of her woes, whose awful will I for her ease disclose. What, quoth Sancho, three thousand lashes. I will not give myself three, I will as soon give myself three stabs. Mr. Merlin, if you have no better way for disenchanting the Lady Dulcinea, she may even lie bewitched to her dying day for me. How now, opprobrious rascal cried Don Quixote, Sarah, I will take you and tie your dog ship to a tree. And there I will not only give you 3,300 lashes, but 6,600 you varlet. Hold cried Merlin hearing this, this must not be the stripes inflicted on honest Sancho must be voluntary without compulsion and only laid on when he thinks most convenient. No set time is for the task fixed, and if he has a mind to have abetted one half of this atonement it is allowed, provided the remaining stripes be struck by a strange hand and heavily laid on. Neither a strange hand nor my own, quoth Sancho, neither heavy nor light shall touch my flesh. Is the Lady Dulcinea mine? That my body must pay for the transgressions of her eyes? My master, indeed, who is part of her, he it is who ought to lash himself for her, and do all that is needful for her delivery, but for me to whip myself now. No sinner had Sancho thus declared himself than the nymph who sat by the shade of Merlina Rose and throwing aside her veil, discovered a face of extraordinary beauty, and with a masculine air addressed herself to "Sancho, O wretched squire, with thy soul of flint! Hadst thou been required to throw thyself headlong from some high tower, hadst thou been desired to kill thy wife and children with some bloody and sharp scimitar, no wonder if thou hadst betrayed some squeamishness. But to hesitate about three thousand three hundred lashes, which there is not a wretched schoolboy but receives every month, it amazes, stupefies, and affrights all who hear it, and even all who shall hereafter be told it. Relent, malicious and evil-minded man, be moved by my blooming youth, which is pining and withering beneath the vile bark of a peasant wench, and if at this moment I appear otherwise. It is by the special favor of Senior Merlin here present, hoping that these charms may soften the iron heart, for the tears of afflicted beauty turn rocks into cotton and tigers into lambs. What say you to that, Sancho? quoth the Duchess. I say, Ma'am, answered Sancho, that, as to the lashes, I pronounce them. Renounce you should say Sancho. Quote the Duke, and not pronounce. Please your grandeur to let me alone, replied Sancho, for I cannot stand now to a letter more or less. The thought of these lashes so torments me that I know not what I say or do. But I would fain know one thing from the Lady Dulcinea del Toboso, and that is, where she learned her manner of asking a favor. She comes to desire me to tear my flesh with stripes and at the same time lays upon me such a bead-roll of ill names that the devil may bear them for me. What? Does she think my flesh is made of brass? Or that I care a rush whether she is enchanted or not? Where are the presents she has brought to soften me? All times are not alike, nor are men always in a humor for all things. At this moment my heart is ready to burst with grief to see this rent in my jacket, and people come to desire that I would also tear my flesh, and that too of my own goodwill, I adding just as much mind to the thing as to turn Turk. In truth, friend Sancho, said the duke, if you do not relent and become softer than a ripe fig, you finger no government of mine. It would be a fine thing, indeed, were I to send my good islanders a cruel, flinty-hearted tyrant, whom neither the tears of afflicted damsels nor the admonitions of wise, reverent, and ancient enchanters can move to compassion. Really, Sancho, I am compelled to say no stripes, no government. May I not be allowed two days, my lord, replied Sancho, to consider what is best for me to do. In no wise can that be, cried Merlin. On this spot at this instant you must determine, for Dulcinea must either return to Montesino's cave into a rustic shape, or in her present form be carried to the Elysian fields, there to wait until the penance be completed. Come, friend Sancho, said the Duchess, be of good cheer, and show yourself grateful to your master, whose bread you have eaten, and to whose generous nature and noble feats of chivalry we are all so much beholden come my son give your consent leave fear to the cowardly a good heart breaks bad fortune as you well know well said sancho since everybody tells me so though the thing is out of all reason i promise to give myself the three thousand three hundred lashes upon condition that i may lay them on whenever i please without being tied to days or times and I will endeavor to get out of debt as soon as I possibly can that the beauty of my Lady Dulcinea del Toboso may shine forth to all the world as it seems she is really beautiful, which I much doubted. No sooner had Sancho pronounced his consent than the innumerable instruments poured forth their music and volleys of musketry were discharged while Don Quixote clung about Sancho's neck, giving him a thousand kisses the Duke and Duchess, and all who were present likewise testified their satisfaction. The car now moved on, and in departing, the fair Dulcinea bowed her head to the Duke and Duchess, and made a low curtsy to Sancho. By this time the cheerful and joyous dawn began to appear, the florets of the field expanded their fragrant beauties to the light, and brooks and streams, in gentle murmurs, ran to pay expecting rivers their crystal tribute. The earth rejoiced, the sky was clear, and the air serene and calm all combined and separately giving manifest tokens that the day, which followed fast upon Aurora's heels, would be bright and fair. The Duke and Duchess, having happily executed their ingenious project, returned highly gratified to their castle and determined on the continuation of fictions which afforded more pleasures than realities. Chapter 66 Wherein is recorded the wonderful and inconceivable adventure of the afflicted Duenna or the Countess of Trifaldi, and likewise Sancho Panza's letter to his wife Teresa Panza. The whole contrivance of the last adventure was the work of the Duke's steward a man of a humorous and facetious turn of mind. He was who composed the verses, instructed a page to perform the part of Dulcinea and personated himself the shade of Merlin. Assisted by the Duke and Duchess, he now prepared another scene still more entertaining than the former. The next day the Duchess inquired of Sancho if he had begun his penance for the relief of his unhappy lady. I, truly, I have, said he, for the last night I gave myself five lashes. The Duchess desired to know how he had given them. With the palm of my hand, said he. That, replied the Duchess, is rather clapping than whipping and I am of opinion singer Merlin will not be so easily satisfied. My good Sancho must get a rod of briars or of whipcord for letters written in blood cannot be disputed and the deliverance of a great lady like Dulcinea is not to be purchased with a song. Give me then, madam, some rod or bow, quoth Sancho, and I will use it if it does not smart too much. Fear not, answered the Duchess, it shall be my care to provide you with a whip that shall suit you exactly and agree with the tenderness of your flesh as if it were its own brother. But now, my dear lady, quoth Sancho, you must know that I have written a letter to my wife, Teresa Panza, giving her an account of all that has befallen me since I parted from her. Here it is in my bosom, and it wants nothing but the name on the outside. I wish your discretion would read it, for methinks it is written like a governor, I mean in the manner that governors ought to write. And who indicted it, demanded the Duchess. Who should indict it but I myself, sinner as I am, replied Sancho. And did you write it too? said the Duchess. No, indeed, answered Sancho, for I can neither read nor write, though I can set my mark. Let us see it, said the Duchess, for I dare say it shows the quality and extent of your genius. Sancho took the letter out of his bosom unsealed and the duchess read as follows sancho panza's letter to his wife teresa panza if i have been finally lashed i have been finally mounted up if i have got good government it has cost me many good lashes this my dear teresa thou canst not understand at present another time thou wilt thou must know teresa that I am determined that thou shalt ride in thy coach, which is somewhat to the purpose, for all other ways of going are no better than creeping upon all fours, like a cat. Thou shalt be a governor's wife, see then whether any body will dare to tread on my heels. I here send me a green hunting suit, which my lady Duchess gave me, fitted up so that it may serve her daughter for a jacket and petticoat. They say in this country that my master Don Quixote is a sensible madman and a pleasant fool, and that I am not a whit behind him. We have been at Montesinos Cave, and the sage Merlin, the wizard, has pitched upon me to disenchant the lady Dulcinea del Toboso, who among you is called Aldonza Lorenzo. When I have given myself three thousand and three hundred lashes, lacking five, she will be free from enchantment say nothing of this to any body, for bring your affairs into council, and one will cry it is white, another it is black. A few days hence I shall go to the government, whither I go with a huge desire to get money, and I am told it is the same with all new governors. I will first see how matters stand, and send thee word whether or not thou shalt come to me. Dapple is well, and send thee his hearty service, Part with him, I will not, but I were to be made the great Turk. The Duchess, my mistress, kisses thy hands a thousand times over, return her two thousand, for, as my master says, nothing is cheaper than civil words. God has not been pleased to throw in my way another portmanteau and another hundred crowns, as once before, but, one way or another, thou art sure to be rich and happy thy husband the Governor, Sancho Panza, from this castle, the 20th of July, 1614. The Duchess, having read the letter, said to Sancho, in two things the good Governor is a little out of the way, but one in saying, or insinuating, that this government is conferred on him on account of the lashes he is to give himself, whereas he cannot deny that, when my Lord Duke promised it to him nobody dreamt of lashes, the other is, that he appears to be covetous, and I hope no harm may come of it, for avarice bursts the bag, and the covetous governor doeth ungoverned justice. Truly, madam, that is not my meaning, replied Sancho, and if your highness does not like this letter, it is but tearing it, and writing a new one, which may apt me prove worse, if left to thy mending. No! No, replied the Duchess, this is a very good one, and the Duke shall see it. They then repaired to a garden where they were to dine that day, and there Sancho's letter was shown to the Duke, who read it with great pleasure. After dinner, as Sancho was entertaining the company with some of his relishing conversation, they suddenly heard the dismal sound of an unbraced drum accompanied by a fife. All were surprised at this martial and doleful harmony, especially Don Quixote, who was so agitated that he could scarcely keep his seat. As for Sancho, it is enough to say that fear carried him to his usual refuge, which was the Duchess's side, or the skirts of her petticoat, for the sounds which they heard were truly dismal and melancholy. While they were thus held in suspense, Two young men clad in mourning robes trailing upon the ground entered the garden, each of them being a great drum covered also with black, and with these a third playing on the fife, in mourning like the rest. These were followed by a personage of gigantic stature, enveloped in a robe of the blackest dye. The train whereof was of a moderate length. And over he wore a broad black belt in which was slung a mighty scimitar, enclosed within a sable scabbard. His face was covered by a thin black veil through which might be discovered a long beard, white as snow. He marched forward, regulating his steps to the sound of the drums with much gravity and staveliness. In short, his dark robe, his enormous bulk, his solemn deportment, and the funereal gloom of his figure, together with his attendants, might well produce the surprise that appeared on every countenance. With all imaginable respect and formality he approached and knelt down before the Duke, who received him standing and would in no wise suffer him to speak till he rose up. The monstrous apparition, then rising, lifted up his veil and exposed to view his fearful length of beard the longest, widest, and most luxuriant that ever human eyes beheld, when, fixing his eyes on the Duke, in a voice grave and sonorous, he said, Most High and potent Lord, my name is Trifald of the White Beard, and I am squire to the Countess Trifaldi, otherwise called the Afflicted Duenna, from whom I bear a message to your Highness, requesting that you will be pleased to give her. Ladyship permission to approach and relate to your magnificence the unhappy and wonderful circumstances of her misfortune. But first, she desires to know whether the valorous and invincible knight, Don Quixote de la Mancha resides at this time in your castle, for in quest of him she has traveled on foot and fasting from the Kingdom of Candia to this your territory, an exertion miraculous and incredible were it not wrought by enchantment. She is now at the hour gate of this castle, and only waits your highness's invitation to enter. Having said this, he hemmed, stroked his beard from top to bottom, and with much gravity and composure stood expecting the duke's answer, which was to this effect, worthy trifold of the white beard, Long since have we been apprised of the afflictions of my lady the Countess Trifaldi, who, through the malice of enchanters, is too truly called the afflicted duenna. Tell her, therefore, that she may enter, and that the valiant knight Don Quixote de la Mancha is here present, from whose generous assistance she may safely promise herself all the redress she requires. Trifaldin, on receiving the Duke's answer, bent one knee to the ground, then giving a signal to his musical attendants, he retired, leaving all in astonishment at the majesty of his figure and deportment. The Duke, then turning to Don Quixote, said, It is evident, Sir Knight, that neither the clouds of malice nor of ignorance can obscure the light of your valor and virtue. Behold, the afflicted and oppressed flock hither in quest of you from far distant countries, such is their confidence in the strength of that arm, the fame whereof spreads over the whole face of the earth. I wish, my lord Duke answered Don Quixote, that holy person who, but a few days since, expressed himself with so much acrimony against Knights errant were now here, that he might have ascertained, with his own eyes, whether or not such knights were necessary in the world. Let the afflicted lady come forward and make known her request, and, be it whatever it may, she may rely on the strength of this arm and the resolute courage of my soul. Chapter 67 In which is continued the famous adventure of the afflicted Duenna. The Duke and Duchess were extremely delighted to find Don Quixote wrought up into a mood so favorable to their design, but Sancho was not so well satisfied. I should be sorry, said he, that this madame Duenna should lay any stumbling block in the way of my promised government, for I have heard an apothecary of Toledo, who talked like any goldfinch, say that no good ever comes of meddling with Duennas. Odds my life, what an enemy to them was that apothecary. If, then, Duennas of every quality and condition are troublesome and impertinent, what must those be who come in the doldrums? which seems to be the case with this same countess three skirts, or three tails, for skirts and tails in my country are all one. Hold thy peace, Sancho, said Don Quixote, for, as this lady Duenna comes in quest of me from so remote a country, she cannot be one of those who fall under that apothecary's displeasure. Besides, thou must have noticed that this lady is a countess, and when countesses serve as duennas it must be as attendance upon queens and empresses yes in sooth so it is said donna Rodriguez but these squires are our sworn enemies they can find no other pastime than reviling us foul slanderers by my faith if i were allowed i would prove to all here present that there is no virtue that is not contained in a duenna I am of opinion, quoth the Duchess, that my good Donna is very much in the right, but she must wait for a more proper opportunity to finish the debate and confute and confound the calumnies of that wicked apothecary, and also to root out the ill opinion which the great Sancho fosters in his breast. I care not to dispute with her, quoth Sancho, for ever since the government has got into my head, I have given up all my squireship notions and care not a fig for all the duennas in the world this dialogue about duennas would have continued and not the sound of the drum and fife announced the approach of the afflicted lady the duchess asked the duke whether it would not be proper for him to go and meet her since she was a countess and a person of quality look you quoth sancho before the duke could answer in regard to her being a countess it is fitting, your highness, she should good receive her. But inasmuch as she is a duenna, I am of opinion you should not stir a step. Who desires thee to intermeddle in this matter? Sancho said Don Quixote. Who, sir? answered Sancho. But I myself. Have I not a right to intermeddle, being a squire who has learned the rules of good manners in the school of your worship? Have I not had the flower of courtesy for my master, who has often told me that one may as well lose the game by a card too much as a card too little, and a word is enough to the wise? Sancho is right, quoth the Duke, but let us see what kind of a countess this is, and then we shall judge what courtesy is due to her.